When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Speaking of the group chat, Merrick Garland has entered the chat. Would you look at that? Finally, our man has accepted our invitation to the group chat, and he he's sounding spicy. I mean, I am so uh, – there's a certain amount of just relief you know, that he's actually going to, like, step forward. I think that there was, for me, like, don't get me wrong, I I was fine with the the notion that, like, we were going to kind of troll conservatives a little bit by making Merrick Garland AG um, mm-hmm. after he was denied the Supreme Court seat that would have given us a liberal majority on the court. Okay. Um, but... The, the thing is, is that, like, he's a judge, and so he's very, like, he spent his entire career trying not to be political, and what you kind of needed, especially after, like, the, it's interesting that that was the decision when, like, the coup happened, like, three, like, the day that Democrats got a Senate majority, you know, like, the, the same, is the same day that we cleared the two Georgia Senate seats, and so it's kind of like, why did you choose this guy instead of choosing somebody who's mm. going to go hard? And now, finally, 18 months later, 19 <laughs> months later, we're finally getting some movement. I'm just, I'm relieved. Some movement. Before we continue, let me give some background context for, for the listeners. So what we're talking about is an interview yesterday that the Attorney General Merrick Garland did with Lester Hulse on NBC. And he basically sounded like the spiciest he ever had about this stage of the investigation into January 6th. And he said that the January 6th probe at the Justice Department was its most wide-ranging investigation in its history. That I mean, that's quite that's quite a history. So that sounds that's quite a tease. That's quite a trailer. And he added that the Justice Department plans to prosecute anyone who was quote criminally responsible for interfering with the peaceful transfer of power from one administration to another. Holt also asked Garland if he had concerns about indicting Trump if he announces a run for president. Let's listen to his reaction there. We intend to hold everyone, anyone who was criminally responsible for the events surrounding January 6th, for any attempt to interfere with the lawful transfer of power from one administration to another, accountable. That's what we do. 
we don't pay any attention to other uh, issues with respect to that. So if Donald Trump were to become a candidate for president again, that would not change your schedule or, or how you move forward or don't move forward? Uh, I'll say again that uh, we will hold accountable anyone who is criminally responsible for attempting to interfere with the transfer, legitimate lawful transfer of power from one administration to the next. So sounding pretty defiant, pretty firm, that nothing is influencing his decision. He doesn't seem to have concerns about coming off as political. I mean, the way that Lester Holt asked the question was very leading. He was like, do you have concerns about splitting the country in half? And like Caitlin just said, I think our man Merrick does have those concerns, but he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to do what I got to do. Yeah. There's like part of me that was, it's upsetting that I don't feel as confident that this will go where we want it to go as I did feel potentially devastated when we got a few weeks ago, when we got that news of that memo that they were going to uh, be careful around politically sensitive cases in an investigation in an election year. So without knowing the context, on its face, that seemed like a negative. But I think that ultimately, more the more that you look into it, it is a positive because this investigation had already begun. And in some ways, having him be a judge means that he's going to be someone who's going to cover his ass. And ultimately, I think what changed now is partially the January 6th hearings. And I think, frankly, Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony is where we had that pivot point where more people started coming forward. It became clear that like you really couldn't hide from it or, you know, you can try, but Mm -hmm. enough people had visibility into this. The thing is that the president is never alone. So there's so many people with visibility into all these different pieces. And I think that like the number of people watching the hearings and the effectiveness of it and the shock value of his crimes, Mm -hmm. ultimately Mm -hmm. the catch up on the wall, you know, these are very vivid images that that people are like, yeah, that's fully believable, even his supporters. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, uh, you know, now it's just a matter of deprogramming like a piece of that cult. Right. (laughs) This week, also Mark Short, the former chief of staff to Vice President Pence testified before a federal grand jury in Washington in the criminal probe. And he's the highest ranking person in the Trump White House known to have done so. So what do you think that signals to us about the status and the progression of this investigation? I think that he is probably going to be the best eyewitness that, you know, they have available. I don't think it's a coincidence that Mike Pence is kind of starting to try to become more visible in a campaign sense. And I don't think it has to do only with the timing, you know, getting closer to the election. I think he probably knows that people around him are speaking. I think that's probably partly why he's not speaking, because he doesn't really need to. Everyone around him can say what happened to him, and then he doesn't have to anger his future voters, hopefully. Yeah, I don't know. I think that we should we should also discuss possibly the second coup, because there were two coups that happened on January 6th. One was the very obvious one, where Trump sicked a mob on Congress in an attempt to overturn the election. But the other one was when uh, Mike Pence decided that he was in charge of telling the military things, which, sir, you're you have no power or authority. I just want to be clear that if and 
you know, I'm I'm not against her. But if Kamala Harris started ordering people around, I'd be like, girl, you do not actually have any power. Your job is to wait until the president dies. That is 100% of your job. And the break ties in the Senate. Like, like that's that's the job, unfortunately, for VP, which is the most useless federal office that's any ever been conceived anywhere in the world. Famously a six-episode series about that, yeah. It is kind of distressing that, like, first of all, that, first of all, that, you, <laughs> that Donald Trump is trying to murder his VP. Like, we should have, that should be, somehow that's not enough of a, like, I don't know why I feel like that's not getting enough attention, but it, I don't, I think we could probably talk about it more. The fact that he was trying to murder him. Um, and then the other thing is, is that the VP was trying to, like, intercede in the government to prevent his own murder. Like, <laughs> that was a crazy day. So I don't know. I mean, maybe Mike Pence is keeping himself quiet, but I think he should. I think Mary Garland should tee up something else, too, just in case. Because I don't trust Mike Pence on any of this. Um, you know, he did the, la- the right thing at the very last moment because he was told it was illegal. Not because he did had a moral argument against overthrowing the election. If he thought there was a legal route by which he could have done it, he would have. So should Mike Pence have said, like, on January 6th, like, oh, hot potato, I'm not, I can't, I can't get involved, I can't call anybody. And wouldn't sort of punishing from him, him for that, like, decentivize people in the future from, like, doing what they can to stop the fascist monster? Well, I mean, I think deciding, like, then what you get is somebody trying to get themselves on the ticket as VP to said fascist monster so that they have an excuse to take over the military should they be targeted. Like, mm-hmm. you, you have to think like an evil person. You cannot think like a good person who's like, I'm a good person. If I were granted this authority, I would use it to protect people. No, Mike Pence did not call the military that day to protect anybody but himself. And if he had been able to successfully, if he knew that the Secret Service was reliable, that's a whole nother discussion. If he knew that he could, like, no one really likes Trump, so I'll take over the military. I mean, and even the military were, officers were aware, like, you can't run a coup without the military. And they would, they were openly saying this. They were like, you, we will not agree to do anything. We are trying to put as much space between us and the White House as possible. We do not want to be used this way. And that's good, great, good, good that the military is against it, but like bad that you can just, I mean, the commander in chief can just be overruled by the vice president because he's a criminal. There's, there's a lot of stuff to unpack here. Mm-hmm. I think it's important for us to continue digging deep and to not let anything go. But you think, you know me, I think all these people should be out of government. For <laughs> so like there's no, to me, there's no loss here. Every, no justifies me. Here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I completely see your point on that. That I think is a kind of an underlying requirement. I, I really see, I, I totally see both your points. Like Amanda, it's like a disincentive around disobeying orders. Like for the Nazis, it wasn't an excuse that they were obeying orders. So it's like, why would, you know, why would we punish that here? But I do to Caitlin's point, I of course agree that he was only doing it to protect himself. I have a fact-based question and is, I'm not sure if the committee has like fully laid this out. Did Mike Pence taking over lead to the National Guard going and like, was that the tear gas? Like what? I don't know. I don't know if we have that answer. Okay. But that seems, yeah. And the context, like with the discussion we're having, that does seem like 
you know, with everything Caitlin said, a very, something that needs to be very deeply considered is like what led to the vice president taking over that authority? What would that look like in the future? What sand, what standard does that set? What happened next? Yeah, for sure. I'm going to add that to my list of my note. Things I wonder about January 6th. Oh, no. It's really long. Not a full note. <laughs> oh, I've been keeping it going for a really long time. I'm going to add that because that's oh a God. really good that question. That could be your book. <laughs> you just <gasps> adapt Oh, my gosh. Okay. Can we answer, did Bill Stepien's wife mm. have the baby? Where is this baby? I refuse to rest until this baby is confirmed. Unless there was some sort of like health issue. And then in that case, that would be of course. a really unfortunate coincidence. Then he wears his testimony because, you know, how long is his paternity leave? Just saying. Just saying. I think that's something that we should probably conspire about at our live show, which is mm-hmm. this Saturday, July 30th at 7 p.m. Get your tickets now. We have it pretty much fully planned out. I'm very excited. I have, we have a very exciting segment planned where we're going to have some light disagreement on some topics that I was actually able to find. And Only I know how you all answered, and I'm going to keep it that way. I think that's going to be part of the fun. And then basically you'll just – For each each one, I think it's going to have to be sort of like a musical – not musical chairs, but because, you know, people didn't fall on on the same side with every single thing. So it's going to have to be sort of a like you go to one side or the other, and there will be audience interaction. You'll have to make your case. It's very, very, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. But but I'm mostly only doing the ones I'm where I'm only doing the ones where there were two sets of two at least, because I don't want any. There were some where where there's one that we might do where Caitlin was the most optimistic person about it. <laughs> and um I I'm, I'm I'm thinking of joining her team on that one, but but I don't know. And there are some that we all agreed on that are just funny that will spotlight. But anyway, the point of this segment, please buy your tickets at Betches.co slash live. That link right now, because a lot of you have pinged me like, where is that link all of the time? It'll be t- in today's newsletter. And I just went ahead and put it in our bio on our Instagram. So if you procrastinate and you're still trying to get your group together, it will be there. Betches.co slash live. Find it in our bio. It's pretty much always on our stories and it's in our newsletter. I am very, very excited for it. We'll be hanging around after. It'll be fun. You guys have to come now because I just got the information that I'm the most optimistic <laughs> on something. You I know. I'm like wondering what that is. History. Like, yeah. I just need to be clear. I am never the most optimistic person in the room on anything. I need to revisit my own no, answers. No, you can't. You I'm, can't. You can't. They're sealed. My own answers. My own answers. They're sealed. Where'd they go? Aren't they in our texts? They, they <laughs> are, but I had to create. I already, I already created the game based on your answers. So you can't oh, really okay, go no, back. I just wonder, first of all, I was really, I could argue any of these both ways. That's yeah. the truth. So that's why and I you will. don't even remember what my own answer is. You are. will. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to lose some money to abortion funds. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Hopefully this has been quite a tease. Quite a tease. <laughs> yeah. One of the things. It's going to be fun. It'll be fun. I think it'll just be a fun Saturday night. Like I feel like this is what we would, if we got, if we all got together on a Saturday night and had a couple drinks, this is what would happen anyway. So we're just going to like, you know, heighten the stakes. <laughs> Perfect. Definitely. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes 
but beyond that too. Since I started using Pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Among the topics we will probably discuss at the live show are midterms. There are so many interesting midterm races to watch on the national and state level. The state I want to talk about today is Georgia. That state, which iconically went blue for Biden and flipped the Senate with the elections of Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff in 2020. But in 2020, Raphael Warnock, I always forget this, ran in a special election against Kelly Loeffler to finish out this other guy's term. Now that term is ending and Warnock is running for re-election. His opponent will be a Trump-endorsed former professional football player and Heisman Trophy winner, Herschel Walker. I have mostly seen Herschel Walker referred to lately as the the like platonic ideal of who not to, who Republicans should not nominate right now. He's inexperienced. He is unequivocally pro-Trump. He is incredibly gaff prone. The things he says do not make sense. He recently went viral for saying the only reason there's a climate crisis in the United States is because China and India are sending their bad over to the United States. They're just floating it over while stealing our good area or good air, rather. China does have higher emissions than us, but India has lower than both of us. He also lied to his own campaign staff about three separate secret children he just hadn't formally acknowledged and kept changing his story about. There are, this is just a a handful. There are, there's about a dozen examples of this. I read that like the senatorial committee, the Republican senatorial committee sent their, like, you know, I guess their emergency team down to Georgia to kind of rehab that campaign. And even Mitt Romney called Walker a weak candidate, saying, let's just say Herschel Walker's, I think, is having a hard time getting his running legs back. Warnock, of course, is the sitting senator in Georgia and a prominent reverend in Georgia. What do you guys think of this race? Do you think, to start, do you think this would have been a fairly easy GOP pickup in the Senate had they nominated somebody else? Hard to say. It's very hard to say. I think 
so the audience should know we're both we're both shaking our heads we're both back and forth a little bit like yeah i don't know i think actually that like it's actually wild to me that there's any gop advantage on anything this cycle i think that democrats actually have a really strong argument i'm this is all i do on my patreon is argue about this um there's a really 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 strong argument to be made about democrats having the upper hand by a lot and be they should be able to push their advantage i think warnock especially in georgia um that's it's much better organized than it has been it's gotten a lot more national attention than previously um and i think that warnock is uh definitely stronger on the ground there than people would have expected i do think that yeah i mean the other biggest problem is that structurally the republican party uh What's this? What's the professional term for this? Oh yeah, they're batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know their voters are just batshit crazy, and so like they're they're just like neck deep in bat guano at all given moments. So there's there's <laughs> like the idea that they would nominate a reasonable person who could possibly like post coup is going to do. I mean, their last Republican senators literally insider trade. <laughs> on information about the pandemic while lying about said pandemic to everybody that they represented in hopes that their deaths would then give them more money. So, I I mean, we're kind of bottom of the barrel here. Like, who were they going to get other than that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually think, so when you ask the question, would they, it be an easy pickup? Unfortunately, I kind of lean towards yes. Not because of anything... Uh, that I think Raphael Warnock has done. Really. It's, not, <laughs> yeah. it's not about that. It's it's more about, I just think if they had nominated the right person, it would become a turnout question and then it would become a voter suppression question. And I honestly feel like it would kind of be a coin toss at that point because of just how things are structured. People, The Democrats, as much as we want them to be good messengers, they're not. And everyone thinks the Democrats are failing and Biden is like going to collapse. And, <laughs> you know, I just think that's not how you're going to convert voters. Like I know that we know that's not true. And we could make a very strong argument for what the Biden administration has done, especially in the, in these conditions. Let's talk about that. Um, but, you know, the Democrats don't, Caitlin, you put this on Twitter the other day, like they don't feed the messaging. It needs to be like fed through connections and like relationships. And it just, it, they don't do that. Right. And as I mean, and also like there are, there are election laws and restrictions in Georgia for this cycle that were not there in 2020, correct? I don't know the extent of them, but I know, I mean, they are the ones with the, you can't give people water. So I don't think I mean, midterm turnout is getting ever. any <laughs> great enough where that's going to be an issue, but whether they're like, I'm not sure how the redist- the districting mm-hmm. changed. Caitlin, do you know if anything happened on that front that would make it harder? I don't recall if they changed the map. Well, it wouldn't matter for Senate since it's just statewide, right? Oh, right. Yes, that makes sense. But in general, yeah. like the whole ticket, mm-hmm. um, which drives turnout, that might, yeah. which also matters. Yeah. Right now, Warnock is pulling ahead of of Walker by a couple points, and you know, I don't know where these polls have done have done us wrong before, but it is just quite telling that 
you know, we're even having this conversation. It could have been an easy pickup because this is not, this is not a man that is fit to be a lawmaker. I don't think he cares. We have seen Tommy Tuberville not give a shit. Tommy Tuberville, the other, do you see what Tommy Tuberville, Senator from Alabama, right, said about um, gay marriage the other day? He was like, I think it should go to the States, but uh, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. <laughs> that's really how they all feel it was like the black menaces like when they go around byu and are like do you believe in gay marriage like if that's if that's what you want to do that is the level of the senator from alabama's feelings on the matter that's because tuberville is not here for the cause tuberville is here for the grift and there's a difference between like an opus day loving bible (laughs) i'm gonna not be derogatory about it like you know, a Bill Barr or someone who thinks, you know, Amy Coney Barrett is a good example, like real diehards for the cause. Like they have a moral, like totally in contrast with ours, but there is a moral reason Mm -hmm. that they're doing these things. Like they are driven by their own moral beliefs. Unlike let's say Elise Stefanik or, you know, Trump or clearly Tuberville and Kelly Leffler and all these people who were just trying to make money off of this. Let's pause. Caitlin, you're frozen. Maybe she should. Should she sign off and come back? Oh, she's working for me. Oh, she is? Am I frozen? Oh, sorry. I guess it's just for me. Sorry. Maybe she'll come back. So my internet's been funny. Okay. I can hear her. I can hear her. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure she'll come back for me. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry. No, no. It's me. (laughs) Um, No, I was just thinking about how, um, you know, a lot of the the senators i mean part of it is is that they're they're just here for the grift which i totally agree but another thing is is that like you know especially the celebrity aspects like he is specifically brought up because he's a popular he was a popular football coach and this notion that government is this kind of in fact not only is it is it easy to do but that you should actively hire people who just like are, are very fascinating and like exciting to people. Like that's how Herschel Walker got to where he is. Like he's a former Heisman trophy winner. He's black. They love black Republicans. They cannot get enough. I'm going to leave the implications of all of that untouched for right now, <laughs> okay. but we kind of all know why. Um, and the, the fact that he, he has this kind of outside persona and that's a huge chunk of like why Trump got to where he is. Right. There's this, standing of politicians and this happens on the left too although our politicians are at least politicians first and not celebrities but you know the the problem is is this notion that like okay this job isn't serious anyway it's not important it doesn't have a role it's not serious so you can just get whoever is most exciting and exciting your own voting base is the most important thing that you can do so just throw a george clooney in there and it's like Whenever people say that, it drives me up the wall because it's like, these are actually serious jobs. And if you want them done correctly, you should get people who are serious about doing them. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're talking about a United States senator, we we only have a hundred of them. And, you know, Democrats in particular need to be serious about control of the Senate. But, you mm-hmm. know, everyone wants to focus on the presidency. You know, just the Senate's important too. Well, another race I think in Georgia that personally I think should be getting more attention is the race for the governor's mansion. This is our Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp rematch. Governor Brian Kemp fended off a challenge from former Georgia Senator David Perdue, who did have Trump's backing. So this is kind of an interesting contrast where the Senate candidate that Trump supported did win his Republican primary, but the candidate that he supported for governor did not. 
Kemp is currently leading in the polls, but you know, it, it, it's, it's close. I guess it's been described as polls. Uh, it's been described as close. The one I'm reading has Brian Kemp at 48% and Stacey Abrams at 43%. So I'm curious, you know, we've spent a while talking about the dynamics of that Senate race in Georgia. Why do you think the dynamics and how of this race are, are different? Why do you think, you know, what do you think voters see in, in Warnock that they don't in Abrams, or is it just not that simple? It's a different, it's a different conversation. I think it is a different conversation. And I think because we've already seen these two people um, up against each other, Brian Kemp has a, a lot of new baggage around thanks to the 2020 election. And I think Stacey, I think Stacey Abrams is, she hasn't been as visible as she was. And I think unfortunately this goes to the same reason why I don't think that, um, the Democrats would necessarily be able to maintain this seat if they weren't, if the Republicans were running, you know, a normal person, a normal-ish person. Um, and that's because I don't think that they're like giving her enough visibility. She should be out there, I agree. standard bearer of the party. That's what media relationships would achieve for them. So that she is, you know, in the fourth segment on every cable news show, and that's leading you know, what, what are the headlines for, you know, trickle down media kind of thing? Cause ultimately they're the ones who are able to fund journalism and decide what stories are getting covered. So I don't see why whoever is covering the Georgia races, why that's not a more prominent, you know, that is a, that comes down to the decision makers who are choosing to cover this race or not. With that said, Stacey Abrams, you're welcome here anytime. <laughs> we are the decision makers and you we want you here mm-hmm. and we would love to have you here. So Well, I wonder if you if think any, if you're listening, yeah. Stacey's campaign. Well, I wonder if um if you think that, you know, a candidate like Beto does get more attention and hype and goodwill than a candidate like Stacey Abrams. And if you think there's not great reasons for that. Totally. Yeah, we're all nodding. I yeah. actually think that it's just super different. One is Greg Abbott is just next level. Like, I think actually one of the things that Brian Kemp did was neutralize one of the biggest arguments that were had against him in the wake of 2018, which was he's going to suppress voters. He doesn't respect the will of the people. His decision to actually fight Trump undercuts a huge chunk of like why people had been very resistant to him and why it'd been easier to turn out against him. And I think that there's just a little bit, um, I think like, it's not that he, he's not a voter suppression based asshole at all. Like he very much is, he does not believe in popular democracy. He definitely does not believe in black people voting. He will continue to be a terrible human. However, him standing up prominently to Trump during the 2020 election absolutely has some people who would be like, I can't vote for Herschel Walker. Can you see that, dude? He is not together. I can't do it. Who look at Stacey Abrams and say, do we need to change as dramatically as this would be? And so you kind of have to consider that like voters do this thing that doesn't make a lot of sense for those of us who are ideologically motivated where it's like this person represents x don't you care about that and they're like well i don't have a problem and that's another thing incumbents are just a very different entity than open seats people 
are gonna get into that whole don't change horses midstream kind of thing mm-hmm. and like he's not that bad he stood up to trump he won against purdue very easily that was not close so republican voters are pretty much in agreement in georgia that Kemp is not a problem for them and so like that definitely definitely yeah. puts down the democratic energy whereas abbott everybody hates abbott they want him gone everybody's corrupt in texas and also wasn't he just there talking about how like maybe we need to shoot more children or something i don't know what he was saying but Jesus. like it's very easy for beto to get attention totally. <laughs> standing up to greg abbott compared to stacey abrams now running again against brian kemp so there is misogynoir in all of this black women are not considered as important the party isn't putting their heft behind her but it also is a lot easier to run against greg abbott um, right now. That's, yeah. that's my take. That's true. Totally. That's true. That makes a lot of I sense. I think it would help. I feel like she's the type of rising tide that lifts all Democrat candidate votes. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's my only add on is that she's such a celebrity and just, I know from any time we post content on her, people are like, fuck yeah. That it just seems like in Democrats interest that she's among like a group of, of our future that like it would benefit them to just hype around. It's like whether she gets elected in this race, she's still going to be a prominent person in the party. I think putting together combinations that say like what makes her really intoxicating and interesting and boosting those clips that show that like generate that kind of energy would be a big help um, and a little bit more national attention. But we also don't want to get too far because especially black people from Georgia, the outside agitator thing gets really weaponized against black people (laughs) and speaking from the other major black person out of georgia who's successfully changed the country mlk got a lot of you're not really from here because of all of this external support so you kind of want to balance a little bit to allow her to continue to be a georgia candidate and not to to make it too much like she's already moved beyond it because that's going to be very alienating to state voters yeah, that's really interesting. That's a good point. That's also a good point. You don't want her to like burn out too quickly. I mean, this problem would be solved if we had more people in the in the party who are like her. And I think really the two key qualities that she has are competence and authenticity. And I think you can like those things radiate from her. And those are the only thing that people want in their politicians at this point. I mean, AOC has that same energy, I think, you know, even like certain, you know, I love Sheldon Whitehouse. (laughs) (laughs) He's my favorite old guy, Um, old, old white man in the Senate. Um, And I think that the Democrats need that because they have this, this, there's this sort of like malaise. Is that the word? No, I think that is a great word. Sort of feeling of like, they're always either like stuck in like a, like a, Torpor, like is the only word. Like they don't want to, like they can't move. Like they're standing in quicksand and barely keeping their heads above it, just constantly. And I don't know the the, the, the inspiration that I think people feel when they can just like trust the people in mm-hmm. charge is so. It really yes. moves the needle. It's underrated.
We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. And I think the people feeling that, sensing that sense of malaise brings us into our next topic, which is People aren't reading the news. If you are still engaging in the news cycle by listening to this podcast, congratulations. You are elite. You are an elite American. Most of us have, in formal sociological terms, tuned the fuck out. According to an Axios analysis of data on these types of things, engagement with news content has plunged during the first half of this year, compared even to the first half of 2021. In some cases, it's fallen to pre-pandemic levels. So this was, there was a real nosedive in attention after the 2020 election and January 6th and inauguration. Things really just, people really tuned out. But there was an assumption it would kind of bottom out eventually, and it's kind of crazy that it hasn't. But news consumption did reach a high during the pandemic. What's a little surprising to me is that it has continued to fall, even amid a pretty historic news cycle. We've had a war in Europe. We've had the January 6th hearings. We have had a, like, a historic overturning of a fundamental right for half of the people in the country. Yet in the first six months of 2022, granted this was before Roe, it must have been, viewership on CNN and MSNBC was down 50% and 33% respectively. So that's like half or a third. Fox's ratings, though, were up 12%. And just another one I wanted to note was that engagement with articles on social media has also dropped 50% since the first half of the year, since we know a lot of people get their news that way. Um, there's always a lull, but it's just interesting to see this level of disengagement. What do you think is behind that? Two things. One, I think the reason you see, you know, the liberal media going down and Fox going up is because that's just what happens when your party, I think, I think you get that national swell of people who want to engage because they're afraid of what the 
you know, the administration's doing. And there's a sort of, I think we all understand it, like this feeling of control and knowing what's going on. So that's what I think happens there. And I just think when, on the flip side, like when your quote unquote president is in office, you're like, you know, you feel like you don't need to pay attention as much. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a very normal American reaction. On some counts, it's just too overwhelming. I think people are totally. fucking sick of it. They're tired. They're stressed. They're like, I don't need to see for my own mental health. And you can't really argue that. Yeah, it I was like, this doesn't sound like is- analysis. People are fucking tired of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, they <laughs> are. are. They're just, they're like, I can't handle all of this. I mean, something Ashley Spivey shared was that like one of the top two reasons is that the people unfollow people is because of politics. And it's annoying to have this, to have to confront this shit all the time, mm-hmm. like for lack of a better word. And yeah, it's, mm-hmm. I think we don't want to be here either. No. <laughs> I mean, if you care, you care. Yeah. Like I think certain people just like can't help it, you know, but, and that's us. <laughs> right. Caitlin, thoughts? Does this surprise you? Honestly, I mean, first of all, I almost always felt like a weirdo caring about politics and news and whatnot from, I've been doing this for so long, like I've never stopped being the weird one in the room. Um, So it's not that surprising to me, but at the same time, I think it's also, there's also not a lot of good news. And the headlines are bleak. Yeah. You know, like the headline, like... I mean, so I joke bad. about like my my name on Twitter is Apocalypse Diarist, and that was like a kind of dark gallows humor. But like, if I were sitting down, it's like each headline feels like a uh, a prompt. Like it feels like the run up to the apocalypse. You know, like when it you does. like it's look on, at yeah. like, Mad Max, if you could find scraps of newspaper, it would have like the headlines <laughs> we we see now. It's like not good, and I think people can sense that. But there's also I want to kind of tie this back into our entire apparatus and what Democrats aren't doing and what Republicans are doing, which is there's they're fomenting a sense of helplessness, the sense of like, okay, all you can do is vote. And, you know, if you just, you know, do that instead of saying like, this is your government, we want to do these things for you. We are engaged. We are ready. We have solutions. They're in the chamber. We just can't move them. We need you to galvanize. We need you to be aware and, and and engaged. We can make things better. And there's just not a sense that anything is going to get better. And that helplessness in people, like who wants to pay attention to the news when you can't do anything about it? You know, like you see something bad and then you're just like, oh, I guess things suck. Another thing is the bleeds leads thing means that you know, even when there is like, you know, you'll see like there's a spike in crime, but there's a decline in murders. And I see the stats and you're like looking at the actual statistics and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. It feels much more er like the way that we're talking about negative things feels way more deluge than the fact that, hey, actually, most murders are down. You know, like, are we do you feel that way? Like, no, if you're from New York right now, everyone's talking about how bad it is. But like, we are actually down compared to last year. We're, comp- they're, we're like things are improving, but we're not getting the the notification about that. We're only getting the downsides, the these apocalyptic kind of terms. And I think that that just it's so exhausting and it's exhausting even as someone who who 
has been, I've got media literacy. I write, I read, I, I do all of these things. Like it's my job to absorb massive amounts of information, filter it and turn it back out into something that's intelligible. And even with all of that knowledge, I'm tired. So anybody, somebody who it's like drinking from a fire hose. Mm-hmm. Completely. I totally agree with you. It's just, it is overwhelming and the messaging is hard to digest. And also the 24 hour news cycle makes it impossible. And we're, I mean, we're here 24 hours too, but it's like, you know, we're players in a system, rather lowly mm-hmm. players, you know, all considered. And it's like this constant need to churn information when that's not healthy for the human brain. They talked about this on the oversharing podcast actually this week, literally that Mm. our brains are not adapted. Like people used to get the news once a day and then they would know it and then they would move on. And I know what you mean, Caitlin, that it feels like, oh, you don't notice the decline in murders, let's say. Because I don't think that it's about any one statistic. It's about where we've come to this point and the fact that no one in America feels particularly safe in terms of a social safety net, even if you're in a good position, people just feel this need to continue to claw their way up because you're afraid that like one medical issue is going to bankrupt you. So you you were never quite safe because, you know, the whole thing can kind of just go to shit. And when your insurance is tied to your job, it's like, no matter, even if you're, you have a job at the best corporation, your insurance is still not as good as... Yeah, what if you're getting microaggressed and you have the toxic, the most toxic boss ever? Like, that is not... Right. You're not exactly getting that for... for you're, you know, you're not getting it for nothing. And fair enough, I understand. But why is your health insurance tied to that experience? Like, even if you could accumulate... The idea of accumulating anyone who didn't start with a ton of something, accumulating enough money to, like, retire let's say they hurt themselves, like Officer Fanon has to leave the police force. Like, you know, who knows what can happen? And it's like this lack of a safety net that if you just, if anything happens to you or your children, there's nothing to help you if your kid gets sick, whatever it is. And I think that that feeling and then the backdrop of the fact that democracy is failing, like, let's just be honest, democracy is failing. Anyone who is a scholar will confirm that. And those two things happening at the same time, like your your individual feeling of lack of security plus the macro lack insecurity, you know, focusing on the murder rate is not is not really meaning I mean it means something, but it's not what is that gonna do? And just to wrap up on something that's a little bit more optimistic, I don't think <laughs> that these two things are unrelated. I don't think the lack of security we each feel individually, this kind of panicked sense, like I am not stable and it's very fragile. And that kind of tension, you know, I mean, I've, I've done everything. I've been unhoused. I have been, <laughs> I have, I once slept on a bus to do a commute between New York and DC five days a week. That was fun. Um, <laughs> you don't want to know what that commute was like. Yeah. Um, you know, we like, do, I if have, you want to tell us. <laughs> I have absolutely thrown myself into the meat grinder of capitalism and it hasn't turned out great. And for most of us, it's not. And the fragility of it all and the tension that comes with knowing how fragile it all is, is very stressful. 
And that's because we aren't, we don't have a robust democracy. It's because most of us are in this fragile place. And to me, the answer is more democracy. The answer is get engaged again. The answer is don't tune out. The answer is remind your friend that this thing matters and that you can choose one thing, one thing. Don't, don't try to absorb everything. You can't do it. Choose one thing and care about that thing and then just check on it once a day. Don't, like, like, as I said, we are in an information age that most people, the vast majority of people, are not qualified to handle. And I say that as somebody who, who unintentionally trained to handle it, and I still don't do a great job at it. It's okay to be overwhelmed, but you tuning out just, like, it makes that vicious cycle go further. So the answer is, let's care a little bit more about this government, because it belongs to us. And that it still does. And while it still does, we should try to take control of it again and make sure that we can actually survive in this because we don't have to live this way. Whoever told us that that is the thing we have to do, like for most of us, it's been most of our lives, 40, 50, oh my God, almost 40, 40 plus years ago, Reagan, right? And this is all we've ever known. Credit scores are barely older than most of us. Okay, we, this is not the thing that we had to do. This was never the way life had to be. So savings and loan crisis, let's go. You know, knowing recent history and keeping in mind, like, we, this is very new. We have the option of making a different world. We do not have to stay here. So that's why I think we should, we should focus on, that's why I think the democratic message should be more democracy. More democracy is a solution to these problems. It's a more solution to that helplessness that you feel. It's a solution to how overwhelmed you are. Get involved. Get involved at the smallest place you can and let that be what you do. Yeah, and that's that's free. I mean, that's a perfect place to end with our tagline until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Zuberman. I'm Sammy Sage. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye. The Betcha Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.